Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 28 through 34. The Gospel of Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Hear now the word of the true and living God. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right. Teacher, you have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him, and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let us pray. Lord God, we would be in the kingdom. We would follow Jesus. And so we pray that as we look at this text, we would not only see clearly the first and second, the greatest commandments, but that we would be people who aim to put them into practice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nowadays, just about everyone has a cell phone. Maybe you have an iPhone. I'm a droid guy, personally. And so I have a droid. You've got a smartphone. And you use these devices to keep track of your daily life. You've got to pick up this kid here at 3 o'clock. You've got to go take this kid to soccer practice at 6 o'clock. I need to get to the grocery store. And, and so you put all of these things onto this little device to remind you to do these things. Now why is that? It's because those things are important to you. They're important to us. They're important dates, important events, important deadlines. We need to get those things done. We only have so many hours in a day to do it. And so grocery lists and sporting events, business and work schedules, the kids, TV shows, appointments, the list could go on and on. We are busy people. And you know, as we look at the life of Christ, Jesus was a busy man also. He was traveling here, traveling there. He was healing these people, casting out demons out of this person. He was preaching in different locales, teaching in different places, in the synagogue, out in the open. He went around doing good. By the way, just briefly, compare your list to his list. And how does that match up? Only you can answer that in your own heart of hearts. But, but how did he keep up that feverish pace I'm persuaded he had a firm conviction of the Father's priorities for his life. And listen, as children of God, we too must have a firm conviction about our Father in Heaven's priorities for our lives. God does have personal priorities for your life and for mine. What are the personal priorities of God for our lives? I believe here in Mark chapter 12, Verses 28 through 34, Jesus gives us a glimpse of his smartphone, if you will. His iPhone, maybe if you're an Apple person, right? He gives us a glimpse of personal priorities. And it's via a conversation with a scribe. 
Now, who was a scribe? The scribe was charged with copying the law, writing the law. And literally, that's what the term scribe meant, was a writer. They would copy the law. So he's, he's well-versed in Scripture. And he comes to Jesus, and he has a very good question. Which commandment is the most important of all? It's a good question. Probably a question we want to know as well. I'm persuaded it was a question that was no doubt kicked around back and forth by the religious scholars of Jesus' day. In fact, many actually believe that if there was a first commandment, it was probably related to sacrifices or offerings. Surely the, the first commandment, the prime commandment, the greatest commandment is right worship and the offerings that are due to God. Or maybe it had to do with, I don't know, the Sabbath or maybe with fasting. Maybe it had to do with circumcision. That's a big deal. The list could go on and on. And so it's a good question. Which commandment is the most important of all? And so Jesus answered, uh, and, and there's an argument to be made about the word therefore answered. It, it's as if he's taking control of the conversation. Jesus is a master at this. But he says, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, Jesus' answer is very intriguing. Again, most people in his day probably thought that the most important commandment was related to the sacrificial system. But Jesus doesn't go to that. Instead, what he does is it's not revolving around the practice of worship so much as it is focused on, first and foremost, our attitude toward God. And so, he begins with the most important commandment as pertaining to the love that a person is to have for God. It actually begins with what's called the Shema. The Shema uh, is what the Jewish person would have recognized here with Jesus citing from Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5. This is something that the scribe would have recited twice a day. Uh, Pious Jewish people in Jesus' day would have done the same. And in fact, people... Uh, Jewish people today, if, if they are pious, uh, will typically recite this even today. And the way this is recorded, it, it looks like an amalgamation or perhaps a conflation of the Hebrew and the Greek. The original Hebrew text as well as the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. And so you end up with four parts. Uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then you'll notice the stress. Jesus repeats uh, multiple times the phrase, all, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is deliberate. All is stressed. It is hammering this point home. And if you replace God in your life with anything else, that would be a monstrous lie to live by. And so Jesus hammers home the all, all, all. And then the second is this, verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. This is actually appealing also to the law. Uh, if the first commandment was Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, this is from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And you got to wonder, did the Israelite really know what this meant? What it really meant to love your neighbor as yourself? 
what did it mean for the Israelite to maybe love the Samaritan as they love themselves? Well, Jesus actually had another conversation about that over in Luke 10, but that's for another time. Well, here's a compliment that's paid by the scribe in verses 32 and 33. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no one besides him. To love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Listen, if anyone knew that Jesus was right or not, it would have been this man. It would have been this scribe. He had the specific duty of, again, copying Scripture. But involved with that was also the searching of Scripture and the interpretation of both the civil and religious law. And chances are he recognized immediately what this meant for his life. That if he was going to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, if he was going to love his neighbor as himself, then that would mean following Jesus. But this scribe also knows Scribes do not follow Jesus. And and so he does sincerely grasp what Jesus is saying in verse 34. Jesus saw he answered wisely. He answered uh, intelligently. He answered, one translation says, thoughtfully. He understood. He knew what this meant. And so as a result of that, because he can't follow Jesus, because scribes don't follow Jesus, Verse 34, Jesus says, and these are heartbreaking words. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Those may have pierced the scribe right down to his core. Again, the Jewish people were anticipating. They were looking forward to the kingdom of God. And he's uh, quite near. He's not far. But he's still outside. He is not under the rule and reign of God for his life. And again, it's because scribes don't follow Jesus, and Jesus himself is the embodiment, the manifestation of the rule and reign of God among people. And so he can't do it. Not far from the kingdom. You know, I think about SpaceX, (laughs) Elon Musk's outfit. About a year ago, SpaceX launched prototype Starship SN11. They shot that thing 6.2 miles up into the air. Everything went well, and it was coming back down to land, and it was during the landing that that Starship crashed. Now, a subsequent investigation revealed that a small methane leak had caused an explosion explosion upon landing. You see, they were not far from success, but in the end, it was destruction. And look, Launching rockets and all, that's serious business, especially if you're going to have manned spaceships eventually. How much more the kingdom of God, how much more serious is the kingdom of God in this? You see, not far from the kingdom still means you end in destruction. It still means it ends in disaster. This is why recognizing the personal priorities that our Father has for us is so important. What were the personal priorities of this scribe? Well, take your pick. Maybe he was after the head knowledge. I mean, he he had a lot of head knowledge, but he lacked the heart to follow through. And you know, that can still happen today. A person can know a lot about God, but not really know him. Maybe he was more interested in saving face. You know, he's, he's surrounded by people. Amen. He shouts amen the loudest, right? Say it louder for the people in the back. Yes. 
but he cannot put it into practice. And he doesn't put it into practice. And again, people can do that today. You come to church, you show up, you say amen at the appropriate times, but then you're not putting these things into practice. Again, don't miss, the scribe answers wisely, thoughtfully, intelligently. He's got his wits about him when he makes this statement. But he realizes the lofty standard, and he cannot get there. He loves God, but only with some of his heart, some of his soul, some of his strength, some of his mind. Now contrast this with the personal priorities of the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus absolutely had love for God, love for God, even his Father. He had love for his neighbor. He was centered squarely in the will of God. This is why Jesus said and did the things he said and did. He lived a perfect, sinless life out of his love for God. And he went about doing good and preaching of that love and out of love for his neighbors. Jesus is clearly focused on the priorities of the Father for his life. May I just ask, what are our personal priorities? We still ask Jesus the same question. Lord, what's the most important commandment? Is it the commandments about the commandment about repentance? Is it the commandment about uh, baptism? Is it the commandment about our worship and how we do things in that? Here's the thing. The most important, the first commandment is still the most important and first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it shows us, this conversation that Jesus has with this man shows us, knowledge is not tantamount to faithfulness. Again, just like this scribe, you may know a lot of the Bible, but where's your heart? Oh yes, you know and, and you grasp what Jesus says, but you lack the heart to follow Christ. You see, there is a difference between knowing the commands and practicing those commands. Between knowing Jesus is Lord and actually living like Jesus is Lord over your life in all things. Mere intellectual knowledge will not suffice for salvation. We must receive the gospel into our hearts. We must truly repent and believe the gospel. I think too many people are satisfied. Maybe even some Christians are too satisfied with being not far from the kingdom. We cannot rest there. Let us not rest until we have found our place in the kingdom of God. We must love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And it must not end with merely knowing that's what we're to do. We need to put it into practice. So let me just ask, what, what would loving God look like today? Well, just a, a few uh, references here as we move into the application of these principles to our lives. I'm I'm looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, where it says that the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you hear it? Do you hear the call to... Self-sacrifice. 
You can perhaps hear in back of Paul's words here the instruction of our Lord to take up our cross and follow him. We no longer live for self, but we live for him. That's what's really hammered there in verse 15. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. You don't live for yourself anymore, but you live for him. And by the way, he is the one who for your sake died and was raised. Again, the scribe could not do this. And this will impact every area of your life. It will impact what you read, what you watch, what you view on the internet. It will impact the way that you talk to others and what you talk to others about. Say, your neighbor, perhaps. It will impact how you raise your children. It will impact how uh, young people, you'll live your life at school. What you'll, what you'll do at school and, and how you'll interact with your fellow student body. It will impact what you do on the job. You're not going to you're going to rob the company or or defraud the company of goods, but you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And listen, let's start uh with the end and then work our way to the heart, uh, the strength. The strength would be those physical things that you do for God and for others. The mind would be uh put into practice would be engaged once it has been cleansed and transformed, and now you are allowing God to change your thinking. The soul, this is your inner devotion to God and His Word, and and it comes from the essence of your being. That's the soul. And then there is the heart. It is the love that we have for God and the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and the love that we have for our neighbors, all of this stems, again, from a heart of love for God. And listen, any one of these, if they're accentuated, where we maybe love God with all of one area, but only some of the other areas, now we're into a place that presents distortion. What happens is error then creeps in. Say you love the Lord your God with all your strength, but only some of your heart or some of your mind, well, then what happens is that starts bleeding into, say, legalism. Or, 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 and it's focused on the external and the physical. Or say you love the Lord your God with all of your soul, but with only some of your mind and some of your heart. Well, then now you perhaps start bleeding into mysticism. Say you love the Lord your God with all your mind, but only some of your soul and some of your heart and some of your strength. Well, now you're you're leaning into just mere intellectualism and, and perhaps even a, a cold faith. What if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, but only some of your mind and soul and strength? Well, now you start leaning into subjectivism. You, you see how all of this has an impact, how it's not just some of this and all of that. It must be total commitment. It must be of the entire being that we are uh, made up of, of different parts, but we are a united composition. And so it must be that we love God with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the mind and with all the strength, all of it, the whole being and, and in that way, we will avoid the errors that are all about us in that regard. Well, what would it look like today to love our neighbor as ourself? Well, the objective of love, and I like to talk about 
not just the subjective aspect. There ought to be feelings that are associated with loving our neighbor and loving our brothers and sisters and, and all that. But uh, it's more than just the, the ooey-gooey, rich, chewy, warm, fuzzy feelings. You need the feelings, don't get me wrong, but you also, there's an objective component to this. And the way I've described it and defined it is that the objective love that we are to have is to see Christ in others, to see Christ formed in others. And by the way, Christ in us, that's the hope of glory, Colossians 1 and verse 27 tells us. And so you're not going to look at people the same way. When, when you look at folks who are lost, you're going to be motivated by compassion. You see, that was what motivated our Lord. That when he saw the crowds, he saw the masses, he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion upon them. Uh, it's going to impact your prayer life. You know, the Apostle Paul was, was gravely, deeply concerned about his fellow kinsmen according to the flesh. You read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and, and he, he says things like, man, I, if it were possible, I know it's not, but if it were possible, even though it's not, I myself would be cut off from Christ if it meant my kinsmen according to the flesh could go to heaven. In other words, he says, I would die and go to hell if it meant my fellow Jewish kinsmen could, could reach heaven. He couldn't do that. Only Christ can die in our place, you see. But it impacted his prayer life because when you get to 10 verse 1 of Romans, he says, my heart's desire and prayer for them, that is for lost Israel, is that they may be saved. How's your prayer life? Are you praying for lost people? The, the people that you know and that you love that are around you? Do, you? do you love them and out of that love then pray that they would be saved? And you know, this isn't just a, an isolated thing where you just do this on your own. It's just Jesus and you, kind of a Chuck Norris or Rambo type of faith. But instead, these personal priorities then have impact upon the congregation. And it, it moves upward to the congregational level. You see, we need to be people who are devoted to loving God together. We need to maintain a high ethical standard in the church and call one another to that. We need to hold one another accountable to that and, and do so in a way that is loving. But first of all, it begins with our love for God. And He is a holy God and a righteous God and a good God. But then we also need to be people who are devoted to loving our neighbors. We need to pray for them and we need to work to see Christ in them. We need to... We need to uh, share the gospel with them. That's the most loving thing that we can do with someone is to tell them about Christ. And then, loving God, loving our neighbor, we need to be humble enough to recognize our own shortcomings. We do not love God as we ought. We do not love our neighbors as we ought. We are flawed. We are imperfect. We are sinners. And we want to, we do, we want to follow in the steps of Christ. We want to live in such a way that we do love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourself. But we know, if we reflect and we give self-evaluation, we know that we don't love God as we ought, and we don't love our neighbors as we ought. What do we do? We need to seek God's forgiveness when we fail, and plead with Him to empower our love for Him, and empower our love for for others, that he would command what he wills and then that he would enable us to do his will. You know, we started off talking about how we're busy people, and that's true. We, 
We are busy people, but we must never lose sight of the simplicity of Jesus' priorities. You know, he had a smartphone, if you will. He had an iPhone. He he had, uh, even if it's just in his mind, right? He had the personal priorities, his personal priorities down. It was the priorities of his Father in heaven. In the same way, each of us has an iPhone. We have a smartphone for our life. Not just literally. I'm talking here, of course, metaphorically. On that list of personal priorities, on that list is our friends, uh, uh, the family, our job, the wife, the kids, all of it, our, our whole life. They're prioritized according to importance. Somewhere on your personal priority list is your love for God. Where is it at? Where on your personal priority list is your love for God? I think if if we are honest with ourselves, many of us don't have him very high on that list. And the reason he's not very high on the list is because if he were higher, that would mean we have to change the way we live. Starting with our behavior. We have to start acting the way God desires for us to act. And quite frankly, like the scribe, that price tag is just too high for us. It's too high for you. I propose that on the smartphone of your life, God must rank number one. Where is he on your smartphone? Jesus has shown us where he should be. But again, perhaps your smartphone is much like the scribe's smartphone, simply knowing what God wants you to do. But again, that's not enough. You have to be willing to give him your life, to give him your heart. But I I can't do it. I don't love him as I ought. And you know what? That's the point. Is to realize, once once you come to that realization, you are right in the place where Christ can do his best work. You see, none of us can love God as we ought. None of us can love our neighbor as ourselves perfectly. But Christ did. Christ did. And that's the gospel, is Christ loved God perfectly. Christ loved his neighbor perfectly. And we must rest in him. Again, that doesn't get us off the hook. To be sanctified means we are going to pursue loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as herself. But we are going to rest in him for when we fall short. We're going to rest in his perfect obedience in all things. Let me just ask, how near are you to the kingdom? How far are you from the kingdom? Only you can answer that. And the first step, if you you are very far... The first step is to demonstrate that you understand what Jesus is saying here. And to demonstrate that you not just appreciate what he's saying, but that you are willing to recognize Christ as Lord. My brother, my sister, those of you who are in the kingdom, are you living like someone who's outside of the kingdom? We need to maintain the greatest and first commandment. We need to be eager to restore it. To its proper place when we fail to keep it in its first place. Let us pray. Unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to be kingdom citizens. 
For those who are not far from the kingdom, we pray that you would draw them into your kingdom, that you, through Christ, would bring them into the kingdom, and that for those of us who are in the kingdom, we pray that we would live as kingdom citizens. Enable us to do that, Father. Enable us to love you with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength, and enable us to love our neighbor as ourself. This is our prayer that we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.